Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ this day. We read for our text these words of the gospel lesson that we had previously read. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say, I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Here ends our text. Just say the word, he says. Just say the word. You know, this subject of authority is something that, um, well, it's of great concern today because there are times in which we love it and there are times in which we don't love it very much. We love it when there are wildfires out there in California and the governor declares a national emergency and all of a sudden firefighters descend upon those fires to protect the property of our citizens. We love authority when it comes from good parents. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal this last week that talked about how it's absolutely crucial to the moral structure and the prosperity of a culture to have good parenting. Parental authority is a very, very good thing. It's law and gospel, isn't it? It's both curbing those excesses of negative behavior along with the affirmation and love that goes into creating the positive incentives for behavior and being well-adjusted children. But there are times, too, when authority can be misused. And we have seen that sometimes when it comes to our own sinful nature. We just don't like having people tell us what it is that we should do or not do. Our own sinful nature likes to be able to do sinful things, and we don't like it when somebody calls us on what we have done as being wrong. There's something that jumps up inside of us and tells us that we don't like that kind of authority. Well, there's always, of course, the authority that is abused on the outside of us. Governmental overreach. When a government suddenly decides that individuals may not exercise the liberty of conscience and say no to the condoning of sinful behavior in the society in which we live. You, most of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's the abused authority of governmental overreach when it comes to using law itself as a weapon against the innocent possibly through suing or false claims or false advertisement. And of course, there's been a big concern today, especially among the Black Lives Matter, questions of police brutality and whether or not there is such a thing, especially against those who are of minorities. Well, the Reformation itself was 
very much about the issue of authority, wasn't it? Whether or not a Reformation could even take place or not hinged upon whether or not authority that was spoken about by Luther, the authority of Rome, where in the world did these things have their match? The centurion in our story gives us some degree of perspective. He was a person who understood very well the absolute necessity of authority if you were going to win wars. He saw that authority was something where if you had soldiers that did not follow the chain of command and do exactly what they were told to do, that you would lose in the battlefield, that you would lose your country, your nation, you would lose against those who were your enemies. He also knew that authority was something that could be communicated. He was a man under authority. He was a man who used that authority for those who were under him. Now we can begin to understand if this Roman view of authority was so important, which they had learned over the years, why it was that Martin Luther was viewed as such a rebel, as a person who was a reviler of the peace, as a person who was a destroyer of kingdoms because he was a person who was challenging a very long and very historically rooted form of authority in the papacy and also in the government. The difference, however, between that centurion's love of authority and understanding of it, and then, of course, what took place later on in the Roman Catholic Church was that the centurion knew the difference between temporal authority and heavenly or spiritual authority. He knew the difference. He knew that there was a kingdom that we sometimes call the kingdom of the left, and there was this other kingdom that is called the kingdom of the right. And they are both under God, but they operate in very distinctively different ways. And this is something that Luther, through his understanding of the gospel and the scriptures, also understood. The difference between the kingdom of the right and the kingdom of the left is essentially this. That one, the kingdom of the left, has the authority of the sword. That is, it has been instituted by God for the purpose of punishing those who are lawbreakers and protecting those who are righteous, who are willing to live under the law. It is there for the purpose of punishing those who are guilty of social sins that would harm the body and the greater body of the community. But the other kind of authority, the authority of the right, which is the kingdom of our Lord, is a authority of the word alone. It is not the sword. It is not punishment. It is not incarceration. It is not jail. It is not killing. It is the authority of the word, and that word has the power to do one great marvelous thing. It has the power to be able to wash away the guilt and the stains of sin. It has the power to be able to destroy death. It has the power of being able to restore us into fellowship with God and making us holy by means of that word of God. 
These two kingdoms are also different in this way. This kingdom of the left derives its authority out of natural law and social contract. We sometimes call that the Constitution. But this kingdom of the right is based upon the revealed Word of God in Holy Scriptures. And this Holy Scripture that communicates to us not only the Gospel, but also which commands us as Christians to love one another. And this law of love supersedes all other things. This kingdom of the left calls men and women into offices of service by means of election and appointment, but appears to men to be the qualities of people into offices. But the kingdom of the right, the spiritual kingdom, this call into office belongs to God alone and to his election and to his choice. Why is this distinction so important? Let's just go back a little bit to this text. This centurion comes to Jesus there in Capernaum. Now, a centurion was a leader of a hundred men. This responsibility of a centurion was crucial to the Roman military operation, and more than likely he was centered there in Capernaum because it was also a place where one of the major roads coming into Israel came down out of the Golan Heights into, uh, into, the, into Galilee. He was a person who was, again, probably a Roman citizen and probably at this time had also embraced the Jewish faith even though he himself had to be on the outside. We think that he very likely uh, actually built a synagogue in Capernaum at his own personal expense. Archaeologists have discovered this. This centurion had a, it says a servant, but the word that is used can also be a, a son or boy, or somebody who would have been a young man, who probably could have been his own son, but he came to Jesus and he said he wanted him to heal him. And Jesus, of course, is willing to go with him, which of course would have been a violation of Jewish law. But he says no. He didn't want Jesus to find this trouble with all the Pharisees and whoever else not. Jesus said, he says, I'm a man of authority. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Why, I say to this one, come, and he comes. I say to that one, go, and he goes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And he understood exactly the kind of authority that Jesus had, but he also knew and understood it was not his kind of authority because had it been his kind of authority, he could have said, you must heal my servant and you will do it at my command. He didn't, if you will. The centurion had not confused these two kingdoms. He could have seen Jesus, had he done so, as a lawgiver and an enforcer, and he never would have gone to him for his grace because he would have known that he was standing outside of the covenants of Israel and he was not worthy 
He said, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. He was in a different kingdom, and he knew that he could not enter that other kingdom except by the permission of the one he was speaking to. Secondly, he never would have called him Lord if he had not understood this distinction. Jesus ruled in a realm that was vastly different from his own. Jesus said it before Pilate, didn't he? My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would come and fight. And his power was being used for a different purpose, not for the establishment of a perfect kingdom, not for the establishment of a perfect world, but rather his power was there for the purpose of destroying the power of sin itself and to destroy the power of death and the delusions and the illusions of the devil. That's why he came. That was his purpose. This centurion, had he confused the kingdoms, would never have believed that Jesus could have saved his servant. We elect people to different offices of government, but never are they given the power to be able to heal either the body or the soul with a mere word. Jesus gives to us a warning and it is one that goes along with the distinctions of these kingdoms. He said that the sons of the kingdom were going to be thrown out. There would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it is a warning to us who think that God's kingdom is entered by merely having ourselves in a visible church, a temporal institution. We must not think that just because we're a member of a Lutheran church, just because we're a member of a Lutheran church, Missouri Synod, just because we're a member of a confessional Lutheran church, Missouri Synod, that this somehow means that if our body is inside of this institution, that that therefore means we are in that kingdom. The fact of the matter is, is that that kingdom is not a kingdom where we can say lo here and lo there. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom which has subjects that come to him in faith and are received through and by means of the word of God. This was not just a problem in this day. It was not just a problem in the medieval church where Rome maintained that it was necessary for salvation to be in the visible institution of the Roman church. Martin Luther understood that one enters this kingdom in a vastly different way and it is not something that exists inside of temporarily built human walls. We must today, in the spirit of the Reformation, be faithful to the Reformation, make this distinction even here today between these two kinds of kingdoms. We must seek our Lord like this centurion did, for his grace and for his mercy on the basis of his grace, on the basis of his mercy, not because we have merited it. That's the other kingdom. Not because we've deserved it. That's the other kingdom. But because of his own kindness, we did not deserve this, but it comes to us solely 
out of his kindness and mercy and grace. And to be in that kingdom is to approach God on the basis of his grace alone. We, too, in the spirit of this true reformation, must be all about calling upon Jesus for his word. His word must be our voice of authority. When he says, come, just like this centurion, he could order his soldiers in that kingdom, our Lord orders us in a different way. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In that other kingdom, he said to his servant, go. And in this kingdom, he says, go into all the world. Go, baptize, teach. And in this kingdom, we must believe in the invisible power and authority of God's word that has already been spoken over us. This man was told that something would happen, and he believed. And he went and then saw the result of what it is that Jesus said. Most of us were brought to that baptismal font, and there the word of God was spoken over us. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what did Peter say? He said, the promise is unto you and to your children. Repent, be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In God's kingdom, when his word is spoken, it is not always something that we see. Those words that are spoken over us are also words that have been planted into us so that when the day of resurrection comes, our bodies are going to come out of the grave and bodies and souls are going to be united and we're going to spend eternity with him. That's why he died. That's why he lived again. So that his word, his word, his word, which is spoken from heaven, would come to be. And he calls upon every single one of us with all our hearts, like this Roman centurion, to believe. Have we let this world know about the difference between the authorities and these two different kingdoms? Are we a church because we offer people playgrounds inside of our congregations? Because we have Starbucks coffee inside of our congregation? Because this is a social meeting place? A country club? Or are we a people that have come together for one sole purpose and that is to hear the word of God spoken over our children. A word of God that is spoken into our hearts. A word of God that is spoken over bread and wine that we might eat and drink of the body and the blood of our Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of our sins and the hope of the everlasting life. It is the Word. The Word. The Word. Just, Lord, say the Word. Amen. May this peace of God 
which surpasses all human understanding. Guard and keep your thoughts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.